Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. This is episode number 17, headed towards the Big 20 here shortly. I am with Kurt Mortensen, who's very excited to chat with you more about the law of dissonance today. And Kurt, what do you think? You've been following this crazy stuff with the Miami Dolphins? It's got some psychological angles to it, does it not? It does. You don't know the whole story and what's going on. On one hand, it's amazing that... Someone who's played football these years who's been verbally abused from every coach and every player <laughs> to be offended versus was it that extreme? Yeah, I don't know the whole story, but we do know that people that take offense easily, there's some emotional issues there usually. You know, I don't know the whole story, but it is interesting how people get so wrapped up into emotions and being politically correct and what you can and can't say that pretty soon we won't be able to talk to anybody. Yeah, well, I'd, I think I'd be okay with that. <laughs> So every time we have a conversation it has to be recorded, the government has to improve it, then we'll be okay. We'll never offend anybody. We'll never get anything done, but hey. It's going to be <laughs> great for the lawyers. It's going to be great. Yeah, we can well. just have to get everything run past the lawyer before you say anything. You're just going to have to hire one to follow you around, like at the supermarket and stuff. You're going to go up with a can of soup or whatever you're buying at the grocery store, and the cashier's going to say, how are you today, sir? And you're going to have to say, let me consult with my attorney. Yeah, I can't say right now. I'll get back with you. I'll have my people consult with your people who will consult with their people, and then they'll consult with each other. Then you'll know. And then you'll get the bill. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what we're talking about here, everybody, is this whole scandal. For those of you that don't follow uh, football Americano, so to speak, <laughs> uh, the one six five three hundred pound offensive lineman has allegedly been bullied by another 6'5", 300-pound offensive lineman into leaving the team. And he makes millions of dollars a year playing football for the Dolphins, and he just upped and left. And at first, everyone, this is ridiculous. Then it came out, oh, he's apparently been bullied. And this thing gets uh, a little bit more weird every day, as Kurt said. We definitely know, don't know the full story, but I'll, I'll tell you where I sit on this thing, Kurt, if you care. But if you don't, just pretend to for the listeners, okay? Okay. All right. I'm going to side with the guy who went to Stanford and is very educated and polished over the guy who's just tatted up and has the huge rap sheet from when he was in college and when he's in the pros. I, I tend to side with the other guy. The, what, the one that left or the one that bullied? I'm going to side with the one that left. I mean, the, the one who allegedly bullied, he has a huge rap sheet. This guy, I'm not saying he was wrong, but initially, until all the facts are out, and, and when we have to use these mental shortcuts and judge people because we're human and that's what we do, I'm going to say that the guy that had the Ivy League education and a clean background is right, as opposed to the, he's a thug, by, by <laughs> all accounts. No, that's good information. No, I did not know that. And that's what we do. We prejudge and figure out what's going on and what's happening and who said what and said what. We'll let them figure that out. But it is definitely interesting as far as the league and how they're going to handle it and how they're going to spin it to make themselves not look so bad. My wife is tired of it. I was listening to sports radio this morning, and she says, oh, geez, are they talking about that Richie Incognito guy? 
this is the name of the alleged bully. And I thought, you know, if I ever had to hire a private investigator, I would really want him to be named Richie Incognito. <laughs> That's like the best <laughs> private investigator name ever. I heard that. I'm thinking, is that his real name? That's quite an interesting name for a detective. It could be anybody or even a spy. <laughs> yeah, Richie Incognito. Yeah, he's got James Bond incognito. Right, hey, Richie. If he if he gets booted out of the league, I mean, he could make a career in entertainment or or law enforcement just off a name alone. He's got that going for him. I don't know what else, but he's got that. <laughs> we don't know what else, but congratulations on the cool <laughs> name. Well, <laughs> good deal, Kurt. Speaking of, you know, we were talking about these guys. They've graduated uh, college. Jonathan Martin, the the bullied offense lineman, might be looking for a job. So might Richie Incognito, and so. We have this article that I wanted to talk about published in Psychology Today, and it was published actually today. And we'll link to it on the blog so everybody can refer to it. But it's entitled, Why Recent College Graduates Can't Find Jobs. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the unemployment rate still isn't great here in the United States. Uh, There's a lot of finger pointing as to why and if it's fake and and all that, which we're not going to get into. But I do hear people complaining about they how they can't find a good job. And some of those people are complaining because I can't find a good job that is going to pay me $150,000 a year and benefits to do nothing. And we all know that guy's never going to find that job. There are actually lots of them out there, but these grads are still complaining that they can't find any of them. So there was a report done recently, and there were a couple of recent things came out of it. From the article, it says, number one, almost half of the students surveyed, these were students that the people who studied them were asking about, why can't you find a job? Almost half of the students surveyed believed a degree from a prestigious school is very or extremely important to employers, but only 28% of hiring managers indicated that this mattered in their hiring decisions. And then number two... About three-quarters of surveyed college students believed professional or personal connections were important for securing a job, but only 52% of hiring managers thought so. And so it was interesting. The article went on to talk about, so what matters to these hiring managers then? If a really neat degree from Harvard or Stanford or, or whatever isn't mattering, or personal connections isn't mattering, well, 93% of them wanted evidence that the prospective employee can lead other people. 93%. And 91% thought that they needed to have some experience in the actual field. And 82% wanted an internship. And they went on to say, we need soft skills. And you have always talked about this, Kurt, about Lake Wobegon, that mythical place where everybody is perfect that doesn't actually exist, but and it's hence called the Wobegon effect. So they talked about these soft skills to these students. And wouldn't you know it, they'd talk to a student before they went into a, a job interview and ask them to rate themselves on their soft skills. Soft skills being persuasion, leadership, influence, negotiation, the kinds of things we're yakking at, at uh, you all about every week. And then the managers, however, were asked about the applicant's soft skills after the interview. Not any kind of surprise, Kurt, that the students thought that they were much better than the managers thought they were. That a surprise to you? College isn't preparing these students for what they need to learn for that job interview. Because really, once you have a degree, okay, so does everybody else. What do you have that's different? Is it your personality? Is it your soft skills? And then I'll add another one that. 
are you trainable? Because face it, for most jobs you take, your degree's not that helpful. All it did was open the door and get you the job, maybe. Now you have to be trainable, have the right skills, and prove your worth. Yeah, yeah. 62% of these student applicants thought that they had, quote, the persuasive skills to make an argument convincingly to others. But only 43% of managers thought that those same applicants had the skills. So it really does show a gap that people think it's a world of, oh, you just have to know the right people, then you get lucky, then you get the job, and and you have to go to a great school. But the irony is, is a lot of times, if you've got the persuasion skills, then you're going to be able to go to a really great school, and you're going to be able to meet the right people. If you dwell on those things, then you can get those things that you think that you need, but that the hiring managers don't think you need in the first place. I don't know if that just twisted your brain in a pretzel, but <laughs> I, I, I think it makes sense. Well, the studies I've read, it's 85% that those soft skills, the understanding people, the emotional intelligence, ability to influence others, to help others want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. Otherwise, it just doesn't matter. You can take a look at what employers are looking for and the Students think they have this degree and that they're God's gift that we're going to help out the company, but they come across the wrong way. They don't come across as trainable. They don't have these skills. Yeah, exactly. I used to run a business where I was responsible for a lot of the hiring, and you're you're familiar with this. And I'd get students from the local university coming in all the time applying, and just the attitude was so underwhelming. And if you're a student or if you're in the job market, you know, take notice here. I don't pretend to be able to give you all the advice you need on this, but hey, I've been on the other side of the desk. I know what's going through that guy's mind or that hiring manager's mind. And so many of them had this entitled attitude. Do you have benefits? And and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You're asking me if I have benefits? You look like just a lump on the log. I don't know if I'd trust you to take out the trash. Right. But if the person came across and they had a a dynamic personality and I was convinced that they could talk to other people and engage them, I I really didn't give two shakes about the the resume. In fact, most of the resumes I didn't even pay attention to because, hey, they're all fake. (laughs) (laughs) At least they're all enhanced to some degree. Yes. Yeah, they're all slightly embellished. (laughs) Well, there was an interesting study actually with MBAs that most MBAs don't last more than a year or two at their first job. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, new MBA, they came from school, they've been indoctrinated, they know all the latest theories, they come in and they're working with people that have been there for 10, 20 years and they think, well, you should do it this way and if you thought about doing this way, you're doing it that way, this is a better way. So they're stepping on everyone's toes, bruising everyone's ego, thinking that they know everything versus a person who's been there and doing it for the last 20 years They don't have the people skills. They don't have the persuasion skills. They come across on the wrong foot. Nobody likes them, and eventually they're going to get fired. And, of course, they'll be told it's right-sizing or downsizing because legally we can't say, you know what, nobody liked you, and you're fired. (laughs) But it's such a reality of life. Wow. It's absolutely amazing. I have a, a neighbor who is a software rep, and over the years he's become very specialized in selling a particular kind of software for certain kinds of companies. And he told me yesterday that he was going to have to be quitting his job. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I'm not really worried. I'm just very specialized. Once I locate the kind of company that needs me, they're going to see my experience level and they're going to hire me because they just can't get me anywhere else. And as he was saying this, I was thinking, you know, he's exactly right because he's got two things going for him. 
he's a very persuasive guy. He can really turn on the charm. People like him. And number two, he has experience. And those are the two recurring themes from this article on psychology today. If it looks like you've got people skills and you can lead and you can persuade and you also have experience, you'll take the cake over people with that fancy degree and the entitled mentality absolutely any day of the week. So if you're looking to get into a, a different job, I know you don't want to hear this right now, but you've got to do whatever you've got to do, even if it's intern, even if it's work for free for a little while, if that's just part time, so you can t check that experience box. A lot of people can't look past that. But then also, you've got to demonstrate that you've got people skills. And that's a good point that internships or even employee leasing, the reason those are so popular right now, everyone's so scared to hire somebody to get stuck with a rotten employee that they will, hey, let's try an intern. Let's test it out. Let's try it out. Let's put you under contract. Let's uh, do some employee leasing. And that often leads to a great job when you have those skills. But they're so scared to hire right now that that's an easier route for them to take than to say, okay, you're hired full-time. It's that cost of training and the downtime that you go through. It, it sucks resources from other employees that have to train the new one. So any way they can cut that down and look at, okay, he's already got experience, that's less time until we get this guy up to full speed. There's absolutely a premium on that. Well, good stuff, Kurt. Why don't we uh, Why don't we help the listeners out to whatever extent a couple of yahoos like us can <laughs> on <laughs> on the persuasion side? And we were talking on the last episode about the law of dissonance, which I think we got across successfully to listeners that it's complicated. The law of dissonance is, and that we're probably going to have to take at least one more episode. We might be doing another one beyond this to really drive home this point of the law of dissonance. It's been a little bit. Why don't you give a quick summary on what that is again, understanding we went through it last episode, but let's just refresh everybody because we're going to dig a little bit deeper today. Well, understand, first of all, that dissonance is a foundational law. It is a little more complex than the others, but this is human nature 101, why we do what we do. We talked about last week that the human brain needs to be right. It's easier to amend your belief or find ways why it was okay what you did or what you said than to admit you're wrong. Basically, the law of dissonance is behaving in a manner that is inconsistent with one's behavior, attitudes, or values. So what happens when you do something against a belief, against a commitment, we have this rubber band that stretches inside us, that psychological tension, we can't handle it, then we come up with reasons why it was okay to do it, why it was okay to steal, why it was okay to lie, why it was okay to text while you were driving, rather than admitting we are wrong. Okay, good deal. So we have to maintain that mental consistency and there are various ways to do that, not all of which are advantageous to the persuader or to the salesperson, correct? Correct. If they stretch the rubber band too far and make people a little too tense, they're going to come after them and they're going to attack them. They're not going to like them. But if we stretch it gently enough and help them realize that they're going down the wrong path, help them realize where they are and where they want to go is longer or bigger or wider than they think, then we show them through stretching the rubber band, building a little tension, helping them persuade themselves that they need our product or service to help them get from where they are now to where they need to go. Got it. Got it. So my understanding is there are essentially six ways. The, we, we talked on the last episode about the gap, right? Mm -hmm. the, the dissonance or that pain is created. Somebody has a way they, they want to live their life or they believe they are living their life. 
and for whatever reason they realize that that is not being accomplished. So now they're looking to either A, make a change, or B, close that gap. Like you talked about, it stretches that rubber band out, causes that tension, and it can't stay stretched out. It has to come down. There are six ways to do this, and you have a pretty entertaining way of, of laying this out. To, uh, you're a big fan of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> if, if you've been listening to this podcast and it is not yet clear to you that Kurt likes Ben and Jerry's, I don't know what else to tell you. You must not be paying any attention. <laughs> you want to be my friend? We're talking ice cream. and Well, let me do this. Let me go through each one of these with an example, then I'll wrap it up with Ben and Jerry's, just kind of so everyone understands how these six come together as okay. far as protecting our mental consistency. The first one, and let me use another example here, as far as being late. When people are late, as we know, they in their mind, they're not late. It's not their fault. They're always late, but it's not their fault. It's someone else's fault. And if you call them on being late, sometimes you have to duck. So the first way people handle when their rubber band stretches is what's called the denial. That's when they deny there's a problem or they demean the source. They're going to come after you, make it your fault, your problem. So you say, hey, you're late. They're going to say, no, you're always late. Why are you writing me? You've been so mean to me. Why do you hate me? And they're coming after you when you're like, whoa, 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 what just happened? And we talked about that last time with the, I think it was the Krispy Kreme donut example where you're helping someone lose weight and you say something after they've eaten 12 donuts and they come attack you. That's denial, where mm-hmm. they deny there's a problem or demean the source. The, the next one is the reframe. That's where you kind of reinterpret. This is what they really meant. You reinterpret it. Say, you're late. Well, I say, no, no, didn't you know that 10 minutes, it's socially acceptable, it's okay now, it's changed. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? But they made it okay. They reinterpreted it. They changed the meaning. That's called the reframe. You could do the search. That's where you're doing the social validation. Who else is doing it? Uncle Fred smoked for 90 years and he's still healthy. You're looking for someone else to make it okay. Hey, you're late. Well, President Clinton was always late and he was the president. And it's okay to be late because they found someone else to do that. The separate which is we compartmentalize. We see this in politics all the time. Well, that's their private life versus their public life. It's okay here, but not okay here. So, hey, you're late. Well, that's just at work. This is social. It doesn't matter in social. It only matters in work. And the one we're really good at is rationalize, where we justify. It's okay because of this. Hey, you're late. Well, there was traffic and there was construction. There was not my fault. And then the sixth one is, is the modify. And modify is when you accept it. You know, I'm going to change. I have a ch- problem here. I have a challenge. You're late. Well, you're right. Can you help me out? I need to work on it to go down that path. Now, as a persuader, it's important to see these coming. Because if you don't handle these in your presentation, if you don't handle these up front, if you stretch a rubber band too far, it's going to come back to haunt you. And they'll come up with all the reasons why it's too expensive. Can't afford it. Talk to a spouse. More literature. Go to your website. Come back later. Call me in another year. A lot of the times is that you've stretched the rubber band in the wrong way or maybe didn't even stretch it enough. So let me wrap it all together with our favorite, Ben & Jerry's. In fact, what is the best flavor? Oh, geez, I can't remember. Chunky Monkey? Okay, there's Chunky Monkey. Cherry Garcia comes up. I like Kitchen Sink. I actually have really liked the cinnamon bun after cinnamon rolls, which sounds kind of strange, but is good. But anyway. <laughs> you are say, such a Ben and Jerry's. Uh, I let's can't say we've been eating too much of the Ben and Jerry's. We've been on the cruises we talked about last episode. Yeah. And you go to the doctor, and you're sitting on that parchment paper with your clothes off, and the doctor doesn't come, doesn't come, finally comes. 
And the doctor's got this long look on, let's say, his face. He says, you know what? Your cholesterol's here and your blood pressure's here and this is here. I'm really concerned about your health. You know what? Commit to me right now that you'll no longer eat any more fatty foods. Now, we've got some subconscious triggers here with the white coat. We've got the degree, the knowledge. And usually most people say, all right, doc, you're right. I need to do better. I, I commit to you right now. No more fatty foods. And we're programmed that we keep commitments. That's our belief. And so if we go against a commitment, if we go against something that we've agreed to, that rubber band will stretch and we can't live with that. So you've been doing pretty well for a couple weeks. Uh, you come home, nobody's home, and you've had a really bad day. Bosses yelled at you, new ding in your car, and you open the fridge and nothing's there. And you open up the freezer and the light comes on and you almost hear music as you reach for that pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. An angelic chorus. An angelic chorus. But as you reach for it, tell me, Steve, what happened to that rubber band? I'm feeling like, should I really be doing this? This is getting tight. That rubber band is. It's stretching. You made the commitment. You remember it. You can't deny it. You reach for it. Let's go through the steps. The first one would be the denial. So you reach for that. And we'll say it's Chunky Monkey. And you reach for that. And that rubber band stretches, and you say to yourself, the, well, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. I heard he was a bad doctor. In fact, he's the chunky monkey. He's fatter than I am. <laughs> Who is he to tell me I can't have this ice cream? And you eat the whole thing. Rubber band relaxed, belt oh, undone. The rubber band is so relaxed, and you're relaxed, too, on the couch after you've eaten the whole thing because pff, that doctor doesn't know. The denial you demean the source. You go after them. Thick Ben and Jerry's running through your arteries. <laughs> yeah, as your heart's going, ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the reframe. Remember where you reinterpret. So you reach for that, the doc, and you think to yourself, what the doctor really meant was burgers and fries. Because that's bad fat, and that's bad grease. This is good fat, and it has calcium. Once you want me to get osteoporosis... Mm-hmm. I've got to get my calcium for the day. Yeah, all the other doctors said that. you got to get yeah. that. So you're like, woohoo, do you eat the whole thing? Or you might do the search, get on the internet and find the man in Indianapolis who's lost 27 pounds on the Ben and Jerry's ice cream diet. Hey, you wow. found someone else. Social validation, it must work. Send that to me, would you? <laughs> that's right, I need to find it first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then there's the separate Well, no, that's just during the day, not at night. No, that's just during the week, not the weekend. So it's okay here, not there. The rationalize, well, if I do five push-ups for every bite I take, I'll break even and I'll be okay. Or it might be the modify. I promised I need to work on this and it goes back in the freezer. So your role as a persuader is to see this coming, to realize that the human brain needs to be right, to realize that your goal is to create a little dissonance, stretch a rubber band a little bit, find out their beliefs and their commitments or their cognitions, and then offer the solution, which is your product or service. Got it. Got it. That's a very helpful way to work through it. So a an example that might people might be able to relate to, let's say you're selling life insurance and you meet with a prospect and you go through all their finances with them, figure out what their expenses are, what their house is worth, how much debt they have. And you say, oh, well, you you need $500,000 more in life insurance than you actually have. Okay, the 
cognition or the belief of the prospect is I got to take care of my family. If I kick the bucket, they need to be taken care of. So I've got to have enough life insurance. But you're you're feeling like you already do. Now you've got this this uh, stretching rubber band because a guy's sitting here telling you you need more life insurance. So he could use denial, for example, and say, this guy's just a sleazy life insurance salesman. Every life insurance salesman is going to tell me I need more life insurance. Is that a good way to deny it? That's exactly right on. Okay. And if you could go through that process with these different steps and see it coming, then you can handle it before it happens. We've talked about the importance of pre-solving objections and getting it before it happens because anytime someone has a question or objection and you don't handle it, it's like hitting a brick wall and that they're stuck there while you keep going on during your presentation. Yeah. Well, I think we, on episode six and seven, we talked about that inoculation and, and pre-solving these objections. So everybody, what you have to do is go through your product and look at what are these main ways that people are, are relaxing this dissonance when I bring it to bear on them and, and they're feeling that pressure. What are they doing and how can we basically shut down that objection or that method of denying or relaxing the dissonance ahead of time? Because if it's not there, if you've taken it away, they're going to go to another one and another one. Eventually, they end up at you at modifying the dissonance and saying, you know what? He's right. I need $500,000 more in life insurance. Where do I sign? And that's that key. You can stretch it just enough. Help them realize that there's a gap. Help them realize that you have a solution. Help them realize that, hey, if they don't change right now, that something even worse is going to happen. That is a focus. So stretching that rubber band, understanding human nature, that the human brain needs to be right, and helping them persuade themselves, just that alone is huge to increase your ability to persuade and influence because now they're persuading themselves. You're just the consultant. You're the advisor. You're helping them out. Cool. Cool. That's very helpful. Anything else you want to add to that? The main thing with dissonance is realize, okay, this is a huge topic. We need to spend some time with this to really discover human nature. But if you can just do a little bit at a time and go through your product or service and realize that there are some steps that you can do within a presentation. You can find out what are their cognitions, what are their beliefs, what do they really believe about life insurance, what do they believe about Disneyland. Let's take Disneyland, for example. Do you think people go to Disneyland out of inspiration or desperation? Inspiration, for sure. You think so? Well, I okay. <laughs> U-turn, U-turn. It's their kids nagging them, and they're like, I got to do this. I got I to gotta take my kids. It's yeah. not for the inspiring time. Some people are well, that it was way. it was a trick question. I would say both. Some parents are inspired. They're doing it for their kids. And then some parents feel so guilty because they've been working so hard and haven't been going and they haven't done this. And that could be part of the whole process to that dissonance. So here's one for the kids that are listening if you want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> you find out that your parents' beliefs are that they want to have family time. They want to create great family memories, that they want to spend all this time with their children or grandchildren and that's their belief and then you just say hey well what was the last time we took a vacation uh-oh it was three years ago rubber band stretches that creates dissonance and the solution hello hey there's a special we're all available next weekend we can go to disneyland and everyone's happy well at least i think everyone's happy hopefully everyone's happy since it's the happiest place on earth but that is the same type of scenario you want to think through as you go through this process. The kid that does that is a stone-cold closer, and they are not going to have this college grad problem that we talked about earlier in the show today. (laughs) Well, a funny story. My youngest son used to 
take CDs out of my trash just to listen to them. These were ones that hadn't been edited that I was going through. And he found one on dissonance once and was listening to it in his room. He was probably about 10. Wow. And I was doing something once and we were talking about it. He's like, what's wrong, dad? Did your rubber band stretch? (laughs) 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 Who are you? What's going on? So I have to get him some points for that, that (laughs) you will soon be a, an incredible persuader. Yeah. That's the, if you learn that at such a young age. Wow. (laughs) Well, I hear Homer Simpson. Love the Homer. Well, we love the Homer, but it's just so painful to get these Homer moments. We have to go through agonizing experiences. And I had one with an HVAC company lately that just has me pulling my hair out. These guys are ridiculous. So we're this was a, it was kind of cold the other night. You know, we're sitting here at November where Kurt and I live in the Rocky Mountains, and today it's beautiful. Today we got up into the high 60s, but a couple, two weeks ago, our highs were in the the low 40s, so it was getting a little cold at night. Not crazy, it gets a lot colder here, but it was cold, and we set the thermostat at 71 degrees when we go to bed at my house. That's the, the magic number that everybody can live with. So thermostat's set at 71 degrees, and I wake up at 6 a.m., and it is chilly. I'm going, what is going on? And the house is dead quiet. I don't hear the furnace pumping. I'm going, oh, geez, what's going on? And I go out to the the little thermostat, and I bump it up a few degrees. Still, the furnace isn't kicking on. I go downstairs to look at the furnace, which is a complete waste of my time because I have no idea what I'm looking at. But I I did it anyways. But you feel more manly to pretend that you're looking at it. I I even opened it up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I opened it up and was looking in there and... My wife said, what do you think? And I'm like, well, uh, no idea. But I, I pretended like I knew what I was talking about. So I call up, and this is what this company did well. They advertise on the radio around here, and their little jingle came through my head. I'll just go ahead and say the name because this is true, and they come at me if they want. <laughs> but called Nearing's Plumbing and Heating here in Utah. And I called them and said, my furnace doesn't work. And they said, okay, well, we need to uh, come out and take a look at it. And ironically, a couple of years ago, they had performed this same repair on my furnace. And a couple of years ago, I was not happy about the price that I paid, but it was February. (laughs) I had to have a working furnace, right? The highs were in the low 20s back then. So they come out, they give me a bid, they say, you have a busted inducer motor that needs to be repaired. And it's got to be replaced. And I say, okay, how much? And they say, 1400 bucks. And I go, oh ouch so i say okay fine go ahead the guy's like i gotta go out to the warehouse and pick the part and i can i can be back well in my marriage with my wife i am the more impulsive one (laughs) and i started thinking have i been impulsive and i tell her about this and she hits the ceiling and rightfully so fourteen hundred dollars are you kidding me how many other bids did you get (laughs) crickets right darn logic Yeah, that logic, it gets me every time with my impulsiveness. So I go out, I get a couple more bids, and I talk to some people who are going to get back to me. I'm feeling a ton of dissonance at this point, right? (laughs) So my wife says, you got to cancel that repair, and I'm feeling guilty because I already sent the guy out to, to go get the part and everything. So I call, and I get through to the manager of Nearing's Plumbing and Heating there. And he proceeds to tell me, well, I've got a lot of overhead and all, you know, it's not cheap to run a business. 
and by now logic is starting to settle in with me and I'm going okay you have a lot of overhead so I should overpay and he's going well my cost is my cost and then he says I can tell you I'm not the cheapest out there and I'm going okay we got to kill this deal this isn't happening what's fair I end up paying the guy 85 bucks for the service call paying him for his time that took my rubber band down I called a few other places I got my furnace fixed. Do you want to take a wild guess what I got it fixed for? Uh, $400. $360. <laughs> Can you believe this guy was $1,000 more than another company who was making a profit and the furnace is still humming away, doing a good job. But uh, that that's the blunder to you, Nearings Plumbing and Heating Air. We, we don't want to pay for your overhead. <laughs> so a thousand dollars more we could understand being more expensive but uh, it's not like this is a you know for example we have apple and pcs apple can claim well we're a better product because xyz we have more service whether you agree with that or not at least it's in the same universe as being logical right but a furnace that blows hot air and the exact same part there should not be a thousand dollar difference in that yeah, that's almost Almost the cost of a new furnace, at least half the cost of a new furnace, just for a little valve. Yeah, they told me it would be 6000 bucks for a new furnace. I, I'm in investment real estate. I know what a new furnace costs, and that's yeah, part that's of what set even, me off. That's not even close to that because I went through the same thing about two years ago. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting to see the different bids, the different way they approach it, the different ways. And probably this guy never even knows what he did wrong. I know my wife a lot of times will sit down with these people and say, hey, let me tell you what you did wrong. <laughs> Which takes people back, but after a while, they're like, you know, thanks for that. That's going to be helpful. But most people get so offended about that that she usually doesn't do it. Yeah, they're, well, they're grumpy for a while. That lady was – but, you know, when, when they cool off, it's valuable feedback. You know what was interesting that they did to try to, to mitigate this price reaction? He goes, well, it needs a new inducer motor. And I go, okay, how much is that? And he has this big price catalog sheet that he pulls out, and he's going, hmm. And he's deliberately flipping through, and he he's goes, just thinking, yeah. And How much can I get this sucker for? What kind of car did I see in the garage? <laughs> and he he gets to the page, and he goes down. And he's all, look here, and he shows me the cost of the inducer motor, creating the atmosphere of I'm not pulling a price out of thin air. I'm not trying to take you for a ride. Look, <laughs> it's in he's the like, book. Look, I'm showing you on the page that I printed. Here's the price. <laughs> exactly. But when somebody is freezing, their kids are complaining about how cold it is. That's enough logic a lot of times, right? <laughs> printed. Well, there is some persuasion. When it's, it's printed out, it is more persuasive, but they probably printed it out themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's persuasion. Sleazy, but it's persuasion, right? So there's our blunder for the day, telling people I've got high overhead and using that to justify why you're charging them $1,000 more for an inducer motor in a furnace. Bravo. Yeah, so don't call them. They're going to take advantage of you. Yep, that's right. And then, actually, real quick, Kurt, I have listener mail. Hey, we love listener mail. Yes, Jack from New York City. New York City now being the, the most highly downloaded demographic for Maximize Your Influence. Not demographic, geographic. More we people. also need to ask our listeners if they like the sound that comes before the... <laughs> oh yeah listener mail yeah if you've got better ideas for sound feel free to ma email us at uh, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com but this one we don't have a ton of time Kurt so maybe give this guy 
30 seconds worth of advice here. Jack from New York City. My industry is highly uh, commoditized, which is to say that the price seems to be on all my clients' mind. It's all they're concerned with. It's the first thing that they ask me. Any way to overcome this? Jack from uh, New York. What do you think? Well, the old price issue. And he's well, he's saying that it's commoditized. It's all people are are concerned about. And I get that. Uh, but, I mean, doesn't people skills come into play no matter what? When people like you and trust you, you have a 90% chance of influence. We also know when people say it's too expensive, 68% of the time it's a lie. You just didn't connect. You didn't have trust. You didn't build the value. There was no one in it for me. So a couple of things is always work on your people skills and your ability to connect. You have to learn to build the value to where it's ridiculous for them not to buy. Because when they ask for the price ahead of time, then you have no time to build the value. So you need to kind of confront that ahead of time. Says, well, before I give you the investment, which is better word than price, let me ask you a few questions to make sure I have the best fit for you to know exactly what you should do. So now you're the consultant. Now there's options. You're asking questions to find out which is the best fit for them. And then always, always understand that you could add more value with, with bonuses. You could add more value with additional items that you're going to put in, with warranties, with guarantees. Because it happens a lot of times with those type of products is people say, you get all this for this price. Well, no. Here's the price. Oh, but wait, there's more. So if you get this today, you're getting a couple hundred dollars in extras and bonuses, and that changes the perception of value. Yeah. But understand, only 6% of things are bought on price. Only 6%. We don't eat at McDonald's every day. We don't go to the thrift store every day. Your job is to build that value. So when you get to the price, they say, well, that's a great deal. Even if they can't afford it, they know it's a great deal. You have to spend the time to build the value. You have to cut them off ahead of time if you can and say, look, let me ask you a few questions to make sure what's best for you. I mean, the range is between $5 and $100, so I need to see what fits your, your needs the best to make sure you get the right thing that solves your challenge. I think if you're... In your marketing, if you're publicizing, I charge X price for this service, you're setting yourself up to be commoditized. Some of that is getting your foot in the door, which we're going to talk about next week, and just trying to get the phone to ring. But all you're doing is getting it ringing with people expecting, okay, you charge this for this? That is going to be the first question. And if that's what you say, you kind of box yourself in a corner because you limit your ability to be the consultant, to ask questions about, well, tell me about X, Y, and Z, why you need that, what about this, so that you can build some value. But if you're stating, I do exactly this for exactly that, your ability to build value is going to go down because that's all people are going to want to talk about. And here's the non-sugar-coated version. When you fight on price, it's because you're not very persuasive. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. Anybody can fight on price. Anybody knows nothing about persuasion can fight on price. But then the back of everybody's head is you get what you pay for. People know that. And it's also one of those knee-jerk reactions. Well, it's too expensive, too expensive. And if you say, well, compared to what? They never know. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. So a couple things here. Is that a knee-jerk reaction? Have you built the value? Or have you blown your presentation to the point where they just are trying to leave and that's just a, a smokescreen objection that's not even true? Yep, yep. What's that they say? That the uh, the bitterness of low quality is remembered long after the sweetness of low price. That's right. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. You've got to repackage your marketing more around benefits than numbers. Well, price, actually. I mean, you could talk about it, but you don't want to get boxed too much into your marketing because then all you do is 
ring make the phone ring with people who want a commodity and commodities are purchased on price you know they're they're listed on the chicago mercantile exchange what's the price of oil right the guy selling oil doesn't get all persuasive about it the price is the price and that's what we want to avoid our product becoming and you do that by structuring your marketing and your persuasion around the benefits and what you offer not the price that you do it for it's exactly right it takes a little effort and some persuasion skills will make a huge difference in how people treat you that's right that's right well great everybody thanks for joining us send us your comments to maximize your influence at gmail.com we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Blackberry, Windows Marketplace, a few other places that I can't remember. <laughs> and uh, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is the blog where you can see our quick little entries and show summaries, as well as download and listen to the episodes uh, from there, too. But you should definitely subscribe. If you've got uh, an iPhone or, or iTunes or something that carries that, just go into iTunes Store, click Podcast, and search Maximize Your Influence, and you can subscribe. That way, every time we do a new episode, it automatically downloads, and you can listen, and you don't have to worry about jumping online and, and doing it that way. You just can always have it available. So I know you can do that for the other sources, uh, BlackBerry and such, to subscribe to the feed. All right, Kurt, we're going to shut her down for the week. You're off to uh, Puerto Rico. So we look See? forward to all your tales of uh, going down to Puerto Rico and how much fun you're going to have. All right, everyone have a great week. Thanks. Thanks.